Morning, everyone. Yeah, do uh, do grab uh, Romans chapter four, uh, page nine four one. That would be be great if you can have that in front of us. And um, let's pray, shall we, as we uh, have a look at it together. Um, Father, we pray uh, by your Spirit's help and enabling that as your word is open in front of us, we would behold the Lord Jesus. Um, show us something fresh this morning of who he is and what he has done for us at the cross of Calvary. We pray this so that you would be glorified in our lives, so that we would know salvation by faith, so that we would live lives of faith to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. Um, I think I got in trouble at the 9.15 this morning. Um, I've got a theory. I'm going to share my theory with you, but you, some of you will love my theory. Others of you will hate my theory. I, I may get hate mail. I may get vehement disagreement. But I'm, I'm, just, going to, I'm just going to tell you my theory anyway. Uh, and, and, and my theory is, you know, those, you know those superhero films? Yeah, you know, like the Marvel stuff? All those endless Marvel films that come out? All the, all the Superman stuff, the Batman stuff, the, the, the Hulk stuff, all, all of that. It's all a bit daft, isn't it? Don't you think? Don't you think it's just all a bit, all a bit silly? You know, people dressed in capes. Come on, what's that about? Wearing their pants on the outside? What? Uh, leaping tall buildings in a single bound? You've got to be joking. Turning green when you get angry? <sighs> Detecting danger with your spider sense? Come on. Who, who would possibly pay good money to go and see a films like that? I, I think it's, it's all a bit daft, isn't it? Okay, I'm splitting the room. I can see that. Um, Some of you are silently cheering me on for calling out this abject nonsense for what it is. Okay, others of you are busy plotting my downfall. Okay, for daring to speak ill of your your preferred film genre. Okay, Um, but frankly, whichever category you fall into, you're not going to take seriously my little theory, are you? You're going to see it for what it is. It's just Steve winding us up again. And, And anyway... Who cares what I think, right, about the pros and cons of of superhero films? But if I could assemble before you on the platform this morning, guys like uh, like Ben Affleck, who who starred as Batman, right, or or Henry Cavill, who I'm told played Superman, okay, or Mark Ruffalo, who played the Hulk, or Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, if I could get all of them on the platform here this morning in front of you and interview them about their various roles. And they all said, actually, we agree with Steve. Okay, we agree with him that superhero superhero films, they're just a bit daft. We only play those roles for the money. If I could show you that those guys agreed with me, well, then you might be tempted to take my theory a little bit more seriously, right? Because that would add some kind of some real credibility wouldn't it to my theory if if even the actors who played those roles or or maybe the the directors who who made those films if they could be shown to agree with me how how silly those films are of course that's not going to happen is it and i'm only partially i'm only kidding anyway um but but 
Paul, I think, is doing something similar here at at the beginning of of Romans chapter 4. Because if you remember, if you've been here for the last few weeks, he has been teaching this this great truth, hasn't he? In chapter 3, last half of chapter 3, that we are justified, we're, we're declared righteous in God's sight by his grace through faith. In Christ Jesus. And, and because there was a, a, a sizable Jewish community in Rome, the initial readers of this teaching would be a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And for some of the Jews among them, this teaching from Paul would be pretty hard to swallow. Because Paul's been saying that good works will not save them. He's been saying that circumcision, that the sign of the covenant, of them being a covenant people, that won't save them. He said that their adherence to the law of Moses, that won't save them either. In other words, many of the things that they hold dear, many of the things they're relying on for for their salvation, Paul has just been stripping away, hasn't he? And, and, And saying that they count for nothing. Because it's by faith by trusting in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that you are saved, and, and not by those, those other things. So, so is this some kind of, uh, is this some sort of new teaching uh, that Paul's bringing? Is he, is he just kind of you know, making this stuff up? Or, or, or maybe God, has God introduced some new way of being made right with him? Well, well no, Paul's maintained, hasn't he? We saw it last week. That this great truth of being made right with God by faith, it's not some new idea. It's actually the teaching of the Old Testament uh, uh, as well. You can see that in chapter, if you look back, you can see that in chapter 3, verse 21, can't you? When he says that the righteousness of God has been manifested and it's apart from the law, so it's not dependent on keeping the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it, right? They, They point to it. And so what he's doing now, I think, here in chapter 4, is he's calling upon one of those Old Testament greats, if you like, a a giant of the Old Testament. Someone that the Jews looked upon with esteem and and, and respect, the the, the patriarch uh, uh, Abraham. He's looking to him to kind of back up his claim. If you like. So, so what credibility it's going to bring to to Paul's claim here if he can demonstrate that even Abraham, right, this this great patriarch of Israel, even he was in fact made right in, in God's sight, not by his works, not by the stuff he did, not by his circumcision, not by his obedience to the to the law, but by faith, by trusting. Do you see, he's wanting to show that the way to God has always been by faith. And this was the case before the cross as well as after the cross. And chapter four makes this point through the example of Abraham. And I think he shows it in three areas. He says it's faith, not works in in, or deeds, uh, good stuff. Verses one to eight. It's faith, not circumcision, not the covenant sign. Verses nine to twelve. It's faith, not obedience or adherence to the law. That's verses thirteen to seventeen. But there's a lot of text there. What I'm proposing to do this morning is just to concentrate on verses one to eight, um, and hopefully that's going to enable us to see how the same principle applies in those other areas as well. I will have a look at those just just briefly. So let's look, let's concentrate at least on these first eight verses and and see how we too, actually, like Abraham, we're made righteous, we're accepted by God on the basis of faith by his grace. 
And, and so how nothing we do has any impact on it. It's faith, not works, that makes us right with God. And, and friends, this is, this is important for us to realize because if not even this great biblical giant who was renowned for his great works, if not even he could be counted righteous before God on the basis of what he did for God, well, then basically you and I have got no chance, have we? No chance of getting right with God on the basis of what we do for God, which means we too need to be saved by faith. So uh, have a look at verse one. Um, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And, and I want you to notice here uh, in, in passing that Paul is identifying himself with the Jews who would be reading and, and struggling with this, uh, uh, this letter, isn't he? He's saying Abraham is our forefather, according to the flesh. In other words, remember, guys, I'm a Jew as well. Okay, so let's look together at our forefather, Abraham. What, what about him? Was, was he justified by his works, by what he did? Well, no, he wasn't. And, and why? Well, firstly, verse 2, because if he was, then he'd have something to boast about. Have a look at verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. In other words, if it were the case, okay, that Abraham was justified by what he did, you know, maybe his, his moral behavior or his, his acts of kindness, something like that, then he might have had something to boast about. And, and certainly, I guess, Abraham would have been a man very, very much admired by his peers. He, he would have been a, a much praised man. Uh, he would have been a man of, of standing and state, stature before people. So surely that would have counted for something, right? Don't you think that kind of idea still creeps into our thinking today? Don't, don't, you, find it, don't you find it easier to believe that someone you dislike won't have their, their deeds counted in their favour? rather than someone you like or, or you admire. So, so think of somebody like a, like a terrorist, okay? like a, or like a mass murderer, somebody like that. We can easily believe, can't we, that not even their good deeds would count for anything. We can believe that, can't we? That, that, they, you know, that their good deeds will somehow be outweighed by their bad deeds. We, we don't find that too hard a concept, do we? But what about when it's someone we like or someone, when we, someone we admire? What about when it's someone we hold up high because of their works? Uh, I, I wonder, whether you, um, wonder whether you remember how you felt when you heard the news on, on the 8th of September, it was 2022, that after the longest reign of any British monarch, our queen had died. It was quite a moment, wasn't it? You probably remember, you may remember where you were when, that, when you heard that news. And of course, in the days that followed, that there was this... This huge outpouring of national grief, wasn't there? As, as most of the country, really, whether, whether you were a royalist or, or whether you weren't, acknowledged the passing of an incredible public servant. I, I think everyone agreed on that, didn't they? Someone who gave her whole life to the service of others, right up to the point of her death. 
And, and the funeral, if you watch the funeral on the, on the TV, it was packed, wasn't it? Not just with dignitaries and the, the great and the good and so on, but with representatives of the, the hundreds of, of global causes that she gave herself to. I think, I think she had over 600 charities, causes that she gave herself to. She was honored, wasn't she? Honored by people across the world for her incredible public service and, and deservedly so. And so, therefore, it's much less comfortable for us to think that all her tireless work, when it came to her standing before God, counted for nothing, made no difference, didn't change a thing. That that before God, verse 2, before the one who sees not the outward appearance but the heart, she had nothing to boast about. Her works may have made a difference with her standing before people, but not before God. Do you see? Friends, if we had lived perfect lives, if we faultlessly did everything that God required of us, well, that might be a different story. But that's not the way it is, is it? Abraham was a sinner, right? And our queen was a sinner. And you and I are sinners and God sees the heart. And so none of us have anything to boast about before God. So there's one reason that that Abraham was not justified by his deeds, because if he was, he'd have something to boast about. But he doesn't. Here's, Here's a second reason. Was Abraham made righteous by what he did? No. Why? Verse three. Because the scriptures state otherwise. Have a look. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I just want us to notice there that it's the scriptures that Paul goes to as as his supreme authority. Okay, remember, this is a this is a contentious uh, point. Okay, that he's making the Jews are going to be challenged by by Paul's teaching. It goes against everything that they they understand. It needs to be resolved, therefore. And so it's to the scriptures that Paul turns. And specifically, look in verse three to to substantiate his point about Abraham. He he quotes from Genesis 15, verse six. uh, And you might remember uh, that the story Abraham and Sarah are are old. They're childless. But but they've been promised, haven't they? But by God, the the unbelievable that that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. How's that going to happen? How could that be? They're way too old to have children. And even when they were younger, uh, Sarah hadn't been able to conceive. And and yet we read verse three, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that word counted there, it's it's an accounting term. If you like, you remember last week we had a legal term, didn't we? A kind of law courts term. We had a, we had a term from the slave market as well. We had a term from the, from the temple. Uh, this week we get an accounting term. I'm, I'm not sure Paul was very wise to use an accounting term here because whenever I have to engage with accounting terms, my eyes start to glaze over. And if that happens to you, um, uh, I, I have an uncontrollable urge to be somewhere else. 
uh, when that happens. So if you're like me, do, do stick with it if you can, because although Paul uses an accounting term here, it's actually quite exciting. Uh, okay, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I want you just to imagine like a, a balance sheet. Okay, if you don't know what a balance sheet, I mean, I don't really know what a balance sheet is, but I think it's got debits in one side and credits in the other. That's how a balance sheet works, isn't it? You've got debits on one side, credits on the other. And I want you to imagine that at the top of the page is your name. Okay, so this is your balance sheet with God. Okay, and of course, in the in the debit column, there's a great long list of all every one of your sins. Okay, everything would be on it. Nothing you've ever said, thought or done that was wrong would be missing from it. But on the credit side, there would just be one entry, one huge entry that says Christ's righteousness. And there would be an entry date on it, the day that you came to faith. In Christ, did you see Christ's righteousness has been credited or it's been counted over to your account? So, so there's there's nothing on the balance sheet to show that you did anything to earn that credit. The only thing from you on the balance sheet is in the debit column, right? That's your sin. No, the righteousness that appears in the credit column, that's Christ's righteousness. And that's been transferred into your account as a gift. And that's why you're now righteous in his sight. Did you see? My friends, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a stunning truth? Didn't know accounts could be exciting, did you? But then look at how verses 4 and 5 build on that. They, they show us a third reason why Abraham was not made righteous by what he did. Uh, uh, because if he was, he'd have something to boast about, but he doesn't. Uh, also because the scriptures state otherwise. But his third reason is, is because if he was, if he was saved by what he did, then his righteousness would be wages, not a gift. Okay, have a look at verse uh, 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We, we saw in the previous passage the same thing, uh, uh, didn't we? That, that if you work for something, it could never be called a gift. Could it? Because we, we would be owed it, wouldn't we? we? We would have worked for it, right? It wouldn't be a matter of grace. It wouldn't be a matter of God giving us what we don't deserve. It would be a matter of debt. You know, God paying us what is owed to us for what we've done. So, so if Abraham did, did any work at all, if he did anything to contribute towards his own righteousness, well, it wouldn't be a gift anymore, would it? But he didn't contribute anything to it. But rather, verse 5, it's to the one who does not work, but believes. Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted to him as righteousness. Now that strikes me as, as, a, as a bit of a puzzling, uh, slightly appealing sentence. I think I'd be quite happy to be the person who doesn't work. 
but instead believes in God. Sounds like a perfect excuse for taking it easy to me. Um, But that's not what Paul means. Um, Rather, he's saying to the person who doesn't rely on his work, the person who doesn't depend on his good deeds to save him, but rather trusts in God to save him, his faith will be counted as righteousness. He'll be saved. The one who knows that his works can't save him. The one who realizes that all his righteous deeds, as Isaiah puts it, are like filthy rags. But that God, God in his grace and his mercy, justifies the wicked, right? Saves the sinful person, makes righteous the unrighteous as they turn to God in faith, in in trust and, and trust him alone for their salvation. They are the ones whose faith is counted to them as righteousness, who who have Christ's righteousness transferred into their account as a gift. You see? And friends, you know, this is such good news for us because Abraham was a man of great works, right? He was a a mighty man of God. He he did great things in God's name. So if, if anyone was going to be able to earn their entry ticket into heaven, it would be him, right? But what Paul says here is that the principle on which even Abraham was, was made right with God was not the principle of works, but the principle of faith. And friends, that means you and I, you know, people who are much less godly than he was, I take it. You and I can be saved on the same principle. It means that that those who have no standing of their own, right? Those who who have broken every part of God's law, those who are riddled with guilt because they've led the most disgraceful lives, are no further away from being made right with God than Abraham was. He just believed God and it was counted to him. As righteousness. And friends, can you see why this truth is so vital? Um, if you're here as somebody who, who isn't a Christian yet, maybe just investigating the, the Christian faith, this is vital, isn't it? Because for many, what, what prevents people from coming to Christ can be the guilt that they feel, the guilt they carry around for how they've lived their lives. You know, there, there are some, of course, who, who don't come to Christ because they feel self-righteous. They feel like they're not that bad, and so therefore they don't need the gospel. But there are many others who, who know their hearts, right, who, who know how they've lived, who, who feel that God would just be not interested in someone like them. But the good news of this passage is that if that's you, you can think again, because it doesn't matter whether you've been as full of good works as Abraham or whether you've led the most wretched life imaginable, your salvation is equally as close. You you can just turn away from your sin, your rebellion towards God, and you can trust in the work of Christ on the cross to forgive you and to cleanse you And you can have the very righteousness of Christ himself transferred into your account as a gift so that you are made right in his sight. And friends, that is a precious truth, isn't it?
It's a precious truth to give you comfort and assurance as well, because it shows you that your salvation is not dependent upon what you accomplish, but on what Christ has already accomplished. But friends, it's, I think this is vital for the Christian to really grasp this as well, isn't it? So that we will put that truth into action and step out in faith. So faith here and, and so through the scriptures is a, is a kind of a two-sided coin, isn't it? It's both a gift from God that enables us to receive salvation. We're saved by faith. But it's also a gift that calls us to active trust, active faith that steps out on the basis of God's promises. So we are to live by faith. And that's the example of Abraham as well. Isn't it? He, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but he also stepped out on the basis of that trust. In, in fact, he relocated, didn't he? 900 miles from his homeland to, to go and live a, a nomadic existence in Canaan where he, he faced a whole bunch of threats and, and had to exercise uh, that faith through some pretty testing times. And he, he didn't always get it right. But he trusted in God's promises. His, his wasn't a, a wavering, distrustful faith, verse 20, but it was a strong faith that was, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And, and so he and Sarah lived bold lives of faith, lives that looked at the problems in the light of the promises. And friends, that, that, that precious truth of, of salvation through faith is a truth that calls us too to live out that faith in the same way. Tr trusting that whatever God calls me to, we have been rescued from our sin. We've been made right with God forever. So what have we got to lose? As Paul will tell us a bit later on in chapter 8, if God is for us, why who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? So there's, there's three reasons why, why Abraham was not made righteous with God on the basis of his, of his deeds. And of course, it's three reasons why we are not made righteous with God like that either. But then look, notice uh, in verse 6, Paul also gives the example of a, of a kind of another Bible giant, that, that of King David. So, so what does his example uh, teach us about how we're made right with God? Was he saved by faith too, or, or, or was he saved by, by what he did, by his works? Well, Paul wants us to know that David too had to have been saved by faith. And he gives us a couple of reasons. Firstly, David had to have been saved by faith, verses 6 to 8, because David needed forgiveness. And forgiveness comes only through faith. And you'll see Paul quotes there from the first two verses of a psalm of David, doesn't he? Psalm 32. We used it in our, our time of confession at the beginning. And, and if you know it, you'll, you'll know that David wrote the psalm after confessing his sin of, of adultery and murder and, and deception uh, over Bathsheba. Um, stories in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And it's, it's a pretty well-known psalm, isn't it? Psalm 32. We often use it. We did this morning in a time of confession. Because in it, you see the consequences of sin. You see the joy of confession. And then you see the assurance of forgiveness. And, and as you read the psalm, you, you see that David is a man who knows his guilt. He knows his sin, but nevertheless considers himself blessed 
So why does he consider himself blessed? It's not because of his deeds, is it? You know, he's not boasting in his great deeds in that psalm, is he? He's confessing his sinful deeds. But, but he considers himself blessed because the blessing that he's speaking about, verse 6, is the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. In other words, he considers himself blessed because he knows that God counts righteousness to people on some other basis other than by their works. And, and actually, as you read the psalm itself, uh, you can see his, his confidence comes uh, through his trust in God to forgive him. So, so verse 10 of the psalm, for example, says steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts, right, who has faith in, in the Lord. Or, or, or look at verse 8 uh, here in, in Romans 4, which is a quote from verse 2 of that psalm. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And, and that's, that's, if you like, the other side of the balance sheet, isn't it? So just, just imagine that, that balance sheet. Again, credits on one side, debits on the other side. There's this big, long list of all your sins. That's filling up the, the debit column. But not only is there a huge entry on the credit side that says Christ's righteousness, not only has his righteousness been transferred to your account as a gift, but verse 8 here tells us that at the bottom of your debit column, you know, by the, by the grand total line where all of your sin is, is added up, it just reads justified. It just says made righteous. And, and the sum total of all of your sins are transferred out of your account. And if you could somehow see the balance sheet for Christ's account, you would find entries there for your sin being transferred in to his account and his righteousness being transferred out to your account. Do you see? David, just like us, needed forgiveness and forgiveness comes not through our deeds, but through faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then lastly, look in the same uh, verses. Not only does uh, forgiveness come through faith, but blessing, verses 7 and 8, blessing comes only through forgiveness. Here's Paul's uh, train of thought. It's a bit complex. But see if you can follow it. David couldn't have been made right by his actions because David was blessed. And blessing comes through forgiveness and forgiveness comes through faith. And of course, we all want to experience blessing, don't we? Or, or happiness, favor. So who is the blessed man? Who is the, the favored woman? It's not the person who thinks that their good life or their church upbringing or their charitable deeds will somehow count for something, is it? It's not the person who says, well, I'm not perfect, but I live a pretty good life. Or who says, I'm, I'm not as bad as that guy. No, the blessed person is the one who knows that they are sinful, but, verse 7, that their lawless deeds are forgiven. That their deeds are covered. In other words, it's, it's those who know that the Lord will not count their sins against them. That they'll be transferred out of their account and placed in the account of Jesus. And that Jesus' righteousness will be transferred in to their account, thus making them righteous people in the sight of God. Do you see? 
or, or rather, do you know? Do, do you know that truth for yourself? Is, is that what you're trusting in? Do you know, therefore, David's joy, the joy of being made righteous in his sight? It's a lovely thing, isn't it? Do you give yourself time to, uh, to wallow in it? Just to marvel, just to give thanks that his grace saves even you, even me. So verses 1 to 8, Abraham wasn't saved through his works, right? Great though they were. And, and David wasn't saved by his works. And friends, neither are we. It's faith in Christ, not the things we do that save us. And, and then Paul goes on, uh, actually through the rest of the chapter, uh, and he uses Abraham again uh, as an example of how other things that the Jews held on to are equally unable to save you. So uh, you'll notice in verses 9 to 12, he picks up on circumcision. Okay, that was important to the Jew, as we've seen already. It was the sign of the covenant, right? Such that a boy wasn't even uh, considered to be a Jew at all. He, he was unable to celebrate the Passover unless he was first circumcised. But Paul shows again uh, from Abraham that it wasn't his circumcision. It wasn't the covenant sign that saved him. Because righteousness was credited to Abraham before he was circumcised. In fact, you can read the account in, in Genesis 15 to 17, and, and you'll see Abraham was circumcised 14 years after he responded in faith to God's promise. Which means, Paul says in, in verse 11, that, that circumcision, that was just the outward sign and seal of what had already taken place before by, by faith. Meaning that Abraham was not only the father of the Jews, the circumcised, but he was the father of the Gentiles, the uncircumcised as well. And then in verses 13 to 17, he takes the subject of the, the law, the law of Moses. And if circumcision can't save the Jews because Abraham was saved by faith 14 years before his circumcision, well, then the law of Moses certainly can't save. Because Abraham was saved by faith over 400 years before the law was even given. So it's not the law that saves, it's not circumcision that saves, it's not good deeds that save. None of those things saved Abraham. What saved him? Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, nor when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God and fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Do, do, do you see? And, and, and do you see what faith is? Here, Abraham believed against all hope that God would give him his, his promises, his long-promised son. He, he was promised by God a huge family, as numerous as the, the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on the beach. And, and he was promised this even when it seemed humanly impossible that, that Sarah, his wife, could, could produce such a child. And, and add to this that he was approaching his 100th birthday as well. Sarah, too, was way past childbearing age. The whole thing looked impossible. 
And yet, verse 20, Abraham placed his trust in what God had promised. He believed that God was the God of the impossible. And he gave God the glory that he would do what he'd said. And that faith was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God's promise. So, so Abraham's a, a, a great example of faith here, isn't he? But look, friends, who is he an example to? Well, look, he's an example to you and me. Verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, uh, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. Do you see, Abraham's our example. Okay, he's an example to everyone today because he had faith in God's promises. And friends, God calls everyone today as well to have faith in God's promises. The same faith that Abraham had. The God who, who will uh, credit the balance sheet with Christ's righteousness for everyone who, who will place their trust in the God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So, friend, if, if you are not yet a Christian, will you stop relying on, on your good works or on your religious upbringing or on your moral character or whatever it is you're trusting in to save you? Will you stop doing that? And will you instead trust in the God who sent his son to die in your place and then raised him to life to justify you? Would, would you do that? And, and, and friends, if you're Christ, Christian already, will you, will you marvel afresh at your salvation as you realize that it's, it's all a work of grace? He did everything. You did nothing. And, and will you make that truth central to how you proclaim Christ, how you speak of Christ to others? Will you show the person who says they could never come to God because of their moral failures or their, their broken lifestyles or their addictions or their promiscuity or their criminal record or whatever it might be? Will you show them how this gospel of grace just undermines that, that excuse? And it says, no, no, you too, you can have all of your sin transferred out of your account and you can have the righteousness of Christ himself transferred in as a gift of his grace. It's a stunning truth, friends, isn't it? So let's believe it. Let's praise God for it. Let's proclaim it to a world that desperately needs to hear it as we boldly step out in faith on the basis of God's promises. Should we pray? Let's pray together. A gracious God, a loving Father, um, I'd just like to thank you for this little series in these chapters of Romans that we've Enjoy together over the last few weeks. Thank you for, um, first of all, diagnosing for us the, the problem and the extent of our sin. And then thank you for showing us the stunning wonder of the gospel. That, that we can be made right with you 
by simply trusting in Christ and his work on the cross. Would you please help us to to believe it, maybe for the first time or maybe afresh this morning? Would you help us to praise you for it? Would you help us to let it shape how we live and how we speak for you? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.